Let's pray. Father, help us now to benefit from the time we spend reflecting on the scriptures and the history of your dealings with your people, the church, through those scriptures. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a sermon about confidence, about hope and freedom. As I've said, today, 31st of October, is Reformation Day. It remembers the great movements of reformed of reform that uh, swept through the, the Western Church in the 16th and 17th centuries. And the official documents, the doctrinal documents of the Anglican Church, you know, the prayer book um, and the 39 articles which they, the prayer book contains, date from these ref, Reformation times and express Protestant and Reformed convictions. And so I thought we would mark the day since it is on a Sunday this year. I want to talk about the Reformation as a rediscovery and renewal of confidence, hope and freedom. Confidence before God, hope in God and freedom. Freedom from um, some corruption of religion and freedom for joyful service of God. Uh, The Reformation brought a renewal of confidence before God and hope in God. If we transport ourselves back uh, some centuries to the late medieval pre-Reformation church, and that church in Europe was haunted by purgatory. Here's a theologian and historian Alistair McGrath. He says, Purgatory was vividly portrayed by Dante in book two of his Divine Comedy which expressed the idea that the dead were required to undergo both punishment and purification for their remaining sins before being allowed to enter into heaven. In effect, it was thought of as a sort of intermediate clearinghouse for the dead as they awaited the final judgment. The idea held a particular popular fascination, as can be seen from the growth in the indulgence trade which seemed to offer, at worst, an accelerated passage through purgatory, and at best, its avoidance altogether. An indulgence, which um, McGrath mentions, and you may not know, that is a kind of uh, certificate which says you are relieved from uh, the requirements of penance that might be expected of you because of your sins. It's granted by the Pope, and it's granted to a Christian who has gained this this indulgence, through some good deed. And in the popular imagination, it came to mean relief from the pains of purgatory. And the good deed that you did to obtain this indulgence might be a donation to some church project. And this, unfortunately, got pretty crass in some corners of Europe. Indulgences became a way to kind of buy souls out of purgatory. And one of the indulgence sellers, Johann Tetzel, had a kind of ad jingle, which was famously quoted in every Reformation text. Um, He apparently said, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. 
And this kind of abuse led Luther to post 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg. Martin Luther was a German monk, and he wanted to call for a debate on this question of penance and indulgences because he thought there's no way in the world the Pope would approve of this. And this kind of corruption needs to be called out and dealt with. Here's McGrath. Uh, He says, again, uh, the historian Alistair McGrath, in Germany... Trafficking in indulgences was viewed by Luther as a morally outrageous and theologically questionable exploitation of the natural affections of the common people for their dead. His 95 Theses, published on the 31st of October 1517, were a direct criticism of those who asserted that a dead soul might be freed instantly from purgatory on payment of an appropriate amount to an authorised ecclesiastical tradesman. And uh, it wasn't just indulgences that Luther was objecting to. He was a university lecturer in biblical studies and he was rediscovering in the Bible things that would, in the end, banish the fear of purgatory from the churches who adopted his understanding of the Bible. And his rediscovery of the biblical message would give ordinary Christians confidence that God accepted them on account of their faith in Christ and he would not send believers off for punishment and purification after death. And the letter of Paul to the Romans was central to this renewal of confidence before God because there Martin Luther found a liberating answer to the question How can a human being stand with confidence before God? How can we be righteous, right with God? If you look at Romans 3, the New Testament reading, uh, and especially verses 21 to 24, here is where Luther found something that revolutionised his understanding of what the Bible was saying. Verse 21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Luther was part of a kind of academic rediscovery and a fresh engagement with the Bible that was going on then. And he rediscovered that righteousness is given. It's a gift. It's not earned or built. It's given. It's given through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's given to all who believe. That's the qualification. All who believe. It's not earned through good deeds or penance specified by the church to all who perform it. Luther rediscovered that acceptance by God, right standing before God, justification in the sight of God, is God's gift to all who believe. All are justified freely by his grace, his unearned, undeserved favour, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So redemption, freedom, restoration does not come through penance or good works or religious observance. It doesn't come through church going or giving or praying or pilgrimage or self-denial. These things do not redeem you. Redemption of human beings out of our state of guilt 
and imperfection and shame before God, it comes by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so we don't make the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Christ, the Son of God, gives himself on our behalf and in our place as the sacrifice that atones for our sins. We receive this gift, this atoning sacrificial death for us by faith. That is, by trusting in Jesus, in what he has done on the cross. And not trusting in what we have done or could do to get into God's good books. In the Reformation, what that meant was that people no longer trusted in the channels of mediation that the church offered. You don't need the Pope to grant you an indulgence if redemption comes through Christ Jesus to all who believe. You don't need to leave money in your will to pay for priests to say masses for your soul in order that your passage through purgatory might be sped up. You just need Jesus Christ. You just need his death for you. For that gives you all the confidence and all the hope you need before God. Now, in your uh, orders of service, I printed the, the last will and testament of William Tracy, which you might think, this is a strange reading. I don't know if you had a chance to look for it. But this is a, a will from 1530. Um, uh, Tracy was a gentleman from Gloucester, uh, whose will made a striking profession of his trust in Christ. And so the second paragraph there, just where he says, first and before all other things, let's, let's have a look at that. He says, first and before all other things, I commit me unto God and to his mercy, trusting without any doubt or mistrust that by his grace and the merits of Jesus Christ and by the virtue of his passion and his resurrection, I have and shall have remission of my sins, forgiveness of my sins, resurrection of body and soul, according as is written in Job chapter 29, uh, sorry, 19, I believe that my Redeemer lives, and that in the last day I shall rise out of the earth, and in my flesh shall see my Saviour. This, says Tracy, my hope is laid up in my bosom. So he's not saying there, I, I hope I prove acceptable to God. You know, I've really tried to live a good life and I've done my best. He doesn't say pray for my soul because I know, you know, there's probably some things that weren't quite right about it. There is instead confidence by God's grace and the merits of Jesus Christ. I have and shall have remission of my sins and resurrection of body and soul. This guy is not haunted by the fear of purgatory. He is full of confidence and hope in God. And here is the renewal of understanding and confidence and hope that we celebrate, I think, in remembering the Reformation. Because these are truths, you know, not just for the Reformation, but for us, for all of us. This same Jesus we trust too, and we trust in the same way. We have the same confidence of sins forgiven and the same hope in the resurrection on the same basis the promise of God that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are justified freely by his grace.
I hope you know and share that faith and can rejoice with William Tracy in that faith. The second point I want to make about the Reformation uh, is that the Reformation brought a renewal of freedom, two kinds of freedom, a freedom from bondage to kind of false and corrupt religion and freedom for joyful service of God. Uh, The Reformation does remind us that the church can become false religion. It can exploit people. It's not a perfect institution. It needs constant reform. And that's still true today. Corruption and false religion can creep in under the name the Christian church. But in the Reformation, we see that a renewal of the understanding of the faith that we find in the scriptures sets people free. So here's uh, Alistair McGrath again. He said, Luther's doctrine of justification by faith alone obviated the need for purgatory and indulgences. The dead could rest in peace on account of their faith, which made them right with God and not on account of a payment of a sweetener to the church. And so you hear this this freedom in Tracy's will. My ground, he says, uh, and my belief, this is the third paragraph, third line, my ground and my belief is that there is but one God and one mediator between God and man, which is Jesus Christ. And he's practically quoting there 1 Timothy 2.5. That I, William Tracy, do accept none in heaven nor in earth to be my mediator between me and God, but only Jesus Christ. All others, whoever they are, bishop, priest, layperson, be but petitioners in receiving of grace. They can only ask. But they but none able to give influence of grace. And therefore I will, therefore will I bestow no part of my goods for that intent that any man should say or do anything to help my soul. Now a gentleman like Tracy would ordinarily be expected to leave money to the church so that masses might be said for his soul. But Tracy pointedly refuses to enlist priests and the church to be mediators to God on his behalf. He only wants Jesus. He only needs Jesus to be his mediator before God. So there's no money going to the local church. Now, this is hot stuff, isn't it? (laughs) Casting off the claims of the church, undermining their practices, not giving money to them. This will came to the attention of the the church because the church courts processed all wills and uh, it was discussed and pronounced heretical by Archbishop Warham, who is, I think, Archbishop of Canterbury, he ordered that the body of Tracy should be exhumed and removed from consecrated ground, since he was a heretic, as his will proved. And Dr Thomas Parker, who saw to this order to exhume his body from consecrated ground, went a little further and burned the remains of William Tracy at the stake to underline this point. Tensions were running high at this time, And uh, what Tracy had written was hot stuff. But Tracy was free and had said so, as he says in his will, uh, in the fourth paragraph, and touching the burying of my body, it avails me not what be done thereto. (laughs) I don't know if he anticipated (laughs) what might happen to his body, but consecrated ground would not help him Burning his body would not harm him. 
because he knew himself to be in God's merciful hands. Free from the bondage to false religion, its overextended claims. The other kind of freedom, that's one kind of freedom, freedom from excessive uh, claims of bad religion. The other kind of freedom the Reformation rediscovered and reclarified was freedom for joyful service of God. All the good works uh, we might undertake are no longer need to be done in an attempt to pile up spiritual merit. This is quite a revolution. Instead, they are done as the fruits of faith. And here again is Martin Luther on this question. He says, faith, however, is a divine work in us. It changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different people in heart and spirit and mind and powers. It brings with it the Holy Ghost. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do, but before the question rises, it has already done them and is always at the doing of them. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a person would stake their life on it a thousand times. This confidence in God's grace and knowledge of it makes people glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and all his creatures, and this is the work of the Holy Ghost in faith. Hence a person is ready and glad, without compulsion, to do good to everyone, to serve everyone, to suffer everything in love and praise to God who has shown them this grace. This freedom to do good in a completely different frame and mode. And William Tracy wanted it to be known that he gave his bequests because he had this faith, this confidence in God's grace and the consequent readiness to do good in love and praise to God. And so in the second last paragraph of his will, he says, And touching the distribution of my temporal goods, my purpose is, by the grace of God, to bestow them to be accepted as fruits of faith so that I do not suppose that my merit be by good bestowing of them. And later he says, and ever we should consider the true sentence that a good work does not make a good man, but a good man makes a good work, for faith makes, both, makes the man both good and right-wise, for a right-wise man lives by faith. So here is definitely a last will and testament. William Tracy is testifying in this document. He is sharing as a layman and a Christian what the Reformation rediscovery of Romans 3 and much else meant to him. And I hope you find that there is an energy, a confidence, a freedom and a hope in what William Tracy and Luther and others wrote in the Reformation, about the relationship with God that they had found in Jesus Christ, whom they had met in the Bible. The Son set them free, and so they were free indeed. Can I say this? We always need to remember these Reformation truths ourselves, for they are God's truths written in the Scriptures for all of us at all times. God's righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ 
to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the ways in which you renew your church in all its places and branches. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to lead your people uh, into the knowledge of the good news of Jesus as we find it in the scriptures. Lead us back to it whenever we stray and give us this confidence in you, this freedom from bad religion, this freedom for works done in joy and praise of you and a sure hope that you indeed have justified us freely by your grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen.